So this weekend, we get to celebrate Memorial Day. Memorial Day started actually back in the Civil War when people would go and decorate the graves of the fallen soldiers of the Civil War. And it was actually called Decoration Day back at the Civil War time. After World War I, it became known as Memorial Day and we celebrate it the last Monday in May. And it's a day to remember. Sometimes we get a little confused between Veterans Day and Memorial Day. Probably the easiest way to understand it is if you put on a uniform and went to battle and came home, you're a veteran. If you put on a uniform and went to battle and you didn't come home, that's the people we're honoring today. That's the difference between the two. And in the text today, Paul wants us to remember, as it were, a memorial day. A day that our divine warrior, Jesus Christ, came and fought for our salvation and won our salvation on the cross. Unlike those people we honor on Memorial Day that are still in the tomb, he came out of the tomb on the third day. He is not dead. He is alive forevermore. So in a sense, we're remembering what Jesus did when he came into our lives and saved us. We are not the same people we were before. We were at one state and he saved us and he moved us to a different state and he gave us a way to walk and to live and he gave us his revelation and his word. He, we are not the same people as when we first came to Christ. He wants us to understand that his death brought us life. And we are now learning this new kind of life that he has given us. Here in Ephesians chapter four, we see that the lifestyle of the unbeliever is rooted in non-reality and is opposed to the truth. But the Christian has a new lifestyle rooted in the redemption of Christ and everything that flows out of that redemption and what it means to you and me. We were this way before, now we're this way. The problem is, even though we're in a new state as a new creation in Christ Jesus, there's still this lingering indwelling sin principle that pulls us back to the old Mark, the old fill in your name. This indwelling sin principle that keeps wanting us to go back and, and to think and to, to have our conduct like we used to have it in the past. Now, it's not only not fair to jump right in the middle of the book of Ephesians and try to help you understand what the context is going on. So let me give you just a little bit of quick overview to bring us up to chapter four of the book of Ephesians. It really is an excellent book. I would highly recommend spending a lot of time in the book of Ephesians. The Ephesus church was a predominantly, a predominantly a Gentile church, which means there were Jews there, but mostly non-Jewish people. Gentiles who came to a saving faith in Jesus the Messiah. So it's a Gentile church. You remember us Gentiles? We were those that were on the outside looking in, our faces squished up against the glass, wondering what's this about Israel and the people of God and their protection and his great love for his people? We're standing on the outside and we don't get any of this. We don't understand. We're looking on and seeing the blessings that he pours out on his people and then we're kind of going, we're excluded from all of this. We have no part in it. And Paul starts off the letter saying, listen, yes, you were not part of the people of God, but now because of Jesus the Messiah and by faith in him, you are now part of the people of God, you Gentiles. And God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. You are no longer outsiders, you are insiders. He has adopted you into his family. You're part of the family of God now. We were excluded from the family, now we're part of the family of God. He brought us his redemption, which includes the forgiveness of sin so we can stand before a holy God in the righteousness of another's work for us and have a relationship to God that we never had before. 
All of these things are promised in chapter one to us by the Holy Spirit that he has given to each believer when they believed as a guarantee of everything that's coming in the future. You and I have a great inheritance if we believe in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit guarantees that inheritance. Chapter two basically says simply this, all of this was given to us because of grace. It's because of grace. God's unmerited favor. We didn't deserve it. We didn't earn it. It is all given to us by his grace because we were on the outside. Now he has welcomed us inside by faith in the Messiah. Now we are united with all of the Jews in one body, those who believe in Jews in one body, Jews and Gentiles, that which in the Old Testament was a mystery, no one understood that. Now we see this one body united together, Jews and Gentiles, the nations and the Jews together, believing in the Messiah. And out of this unity, he's asking us in these truths to live our lives and order them after the pattern that Christ has shown us. You have been so richly blessed. Now walk in that richness is what he wants to say to us right here. That's where we get up, up to 17 of chapter four. Walk in this unity. Walk in the richness that Christ has given to you. Be careful because that old man has a lingering influence in you still. So be careful. 17. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as Gentiles do. So there is a danger here. There's a danger, there's a warning. It's a danger. You, you and I as believers could still walk like an unbeliever if we're not careful. So don't do that. It's a, it's a warning. In the futility of their minds, I want you to see where it all begins at. It begins in their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Why? Due to the hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, anything to do with the senses, greedy to practice every kind of impurity, any kind of violence, any kind of thing I want to do as long as self is gratified, is the idea. This is how we were before we came to know Christ. This is the Gentile unbelieving world that is still like that. Now, when we come to Gentile here, think, it's using Gentiles, I get that, but it's more thinking unbelievers, so when you see Gentiles, think unbelievers is the idea. Unbelievers. I wonder, do we even notice when we start thinking like the old person? I mean, do we ever even notice when that shift takes place in our mind? Where we, we, know, we know what truth is, but somehow somebody around us or the society wants us to believe something literally that is absurd. Do we notice the shift in our thinking? I don't, I'm not sure. I mean, it'd be helpful if we did, but I'm not sure if we ever noticed. I think we kind of just slide into it without noticing it sometimes. So before Christ, Paul's talking about lifestyle, how a person conducts themselves in this world. And he dealt with first the unbelievers, how they conduct themselves in this world, how they are not thinking because their mind is darkened and they're alienated but you and I, we were, we were before Christ lost in our trespasses and sin and then he saves us and adopts us into his family and this change of status of the believer has to be accompanied by a change of walk. So when we came to know Jesus Christ, we can, it will happen that we change. If you look back and say, yeah, I made a profession of faith but nothing has changed in your life, you need to check to make sure that you're in the faith. There is a dramatic change when we come to know Jesus Christ. In fact, we are told we are new creations in Christ Jesus. 
We are not the same. The old has passed away. The new is becoming. So if we have a change of status of our position, there has to be a change of walk in our lives. Ephesians chapter two. Therefore, remember that at one time, you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision. Now, that is not a polite term, by the way. That's a derogatory term. The uncircumcision. The uncircumcision. By what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, I love those transitions, but now everything has changed. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are not the same. When we got saved, everything changed in our life. There was a radical transformation. Now the status has changed. Now our walk needs to align ourselves with the status. The picture that Paul paints here of the Gentiles' way of living, their conduct, their lifestyle is painted in the very blackest of colors blackest of colors. Now for you grammar geeks out there, put on your grammar hat for a second. The word darkened and alienated, these two words are passive verbs, which means the person is being acted upon. They're not doing the acting, they're being acted upon. And they're also perfect verbs, which means God has darkened their mind and that is the state that they're in. They are alienated from God and that's the state that they're in. It's a perfect passive. So Paul begins with the unbeliever's thinking. It's their thinking, their mind is messed up. An interstate before dealing with their conduct. Here's a vital principle to know. Beliefs drive behaviors. If you want to know what you truly believe, look at your lifestyle. How you behave tells a person how you believe. Beliefs drive behaviors. And all of it is rooted in their thinking process. James Allen wrote, the soul attracts that which it secretly harbors that which it loves, and also that which it fears. It reaches the height of its cherished aspiration. It falls to the level of its unchastened desires. Every thought seed sown or allowed to fall into the mind and to take root there produces its own, blossoming sooner or later into act and bearing its own furtive of opportunity and circumstance. Beliefs drive behaviors. Their belief system was off. Their thinking system was off. They're not thinking soundly. In fact, the word is used futility. Futility is the word that's here. Futility of their minds has the idea of emptiness and folly and ultimate pointlessness. This has affected the believer's intellectual and ethical perception. They're they're, They're not thinking correctly and they're not behaving correctly. Beliefs drive behaviors. And at the center of their thinking, feeling, and volition, which is their will, the will of a human, they have hardened themselves to God and to the knowledge that's openly available to every person that's alive on the face of the earth. Well, wait, not everyone has a Bible. Yes, that's true. But everyone can look out and see creation. And creation is a testimony, a revelation of the presence of God, the creator. In fact, here, uh, Romans chapter 1. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Now, let me just stop for a second though. The word suppress, what they're suppressing is truth, okay? You ever been to the the carnival or the county fair and you see the whack-a-mole? You know, you got a little thing and you whack it and a little head pops up and you got to whack it again. A little head pops up, whack it again. This is the idea of what they're doing. When truth pops up in their life, they go like this. 
They stomp it down. They suppress it and truth pops up again. They st- they're not denying the truth exists. They're just unwilling to accept it. They keep stomping down the truth. They're suppressing the truth. Okay, suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them. It's obvious because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. They have every opportunity to acknowledge the creation of God and that God is a creator and they're unwilling to do that. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, wait, how did they know God? They knew God because of creation. They did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile, there's a word, in their what? Thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. So you got thinking and behavior again. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. What was clear to them, they're unwilling to acknowledge. They have hardened themselves to the truth of God. They're futile in their thinking. It's pointless. It's worthless because they don't know God. They don't know the source of truth. The fact that they're suppressing the truth all the time. They've, they fail to attain the, the true purpose of the mind. The true purpose of the mind is to receive God's revelation, which would guide them in their conduct. See, fallen humanity, those unbelievers that he's talking about, they have abandoned all restraints in life is the idea. Societal restraints, spiritual restraints, and all they're doing is indulging the self, whatever makes me feel good. Boy, talk about 21st century America. What makes me feel good? Well, it's not right. It doesn't matter. It makes me feel good. I'm going to do it anyway. They've abandoned all restraints, social restraints, spiritual restraints. Look around us today. Societal restraints that used to hold back evil in our country, they're gone. They're being lifted. They're being removed. They've been abandoned already. Those things that that society used to hold in check, those things were contrary to the word of God. We've abandoned this. How can anyone How can anyone think this is a good thing? This is a good thing. Drag queens reading stories to our children in libraries. How can you think that's a good thing? Or or in a drag show with children present, men dressed as women, shaking their stuff in front of the kids. In fact, I saw something I cannot even tell you from the pulpit what it looked like. Now, I'm not even going to say it because your mind will go there. It was horrific in front of children. We've got grooming children through clothing in stores that are known throughout the United States. Target, I'll tell. They have a, they have a, 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 a lining of clothing specifically for children that help bind and tuck their children. The man who produced this, I won't even read his name. I have his name, I won't read it because I'm not even gonna acknowledge this person. The person who created this line of clothing for the Target stores is a Satanist. He in fact, CBS News, mainstream media said the symbols, symbols are satanic. Matter of fact, here's what his website says. It's been taken off. Satanists don't really actually believe in Satan. He's merely used as a symbol of passion, pride, and liberty. He means to you what you need him to mean. So for me, Satan is hope, compassion, equality, and love. That's a person that's not thinking correctly. Okay. All right, so naturally, Satan respects pronouns. He loves all LGBTQ people. You should love LGBTQ people. You should love them. You must love them. That's what we're told by scripture. We can disagree with behavior, but we love them. 
I went with a variation of Baphomet. I don't know what this is for this design. Baphomet is a deity who themselves is a mixture of genders, beings, ideas, and existence. And a mainstream clothing store in America has this. Who can possibly think this is a good idea? G.K. Chesterton said this, fallacies do not cease to be fallacies because they become fashions. It's not only that they've lost their mind and they can't reason, it's possibly can't, they're, they're prone to violence as a means of protest. They're given over to self. Now, I think that we have a right to protest. The Constitution gives us a right to peacefully assemble and to redress our government. Peaceful protest, nothing wrong with that. But that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about violent protests. They don't want to hear different opinions. So they become violent about it. College students can't even listen to different opinions without closing down their minds. University of Kentucky swimmer Riley Gaines who was top of her class, beaten by a man who swam in her division. She was speaking at San Francisco State University and the students did not want to hear what she had to say. This is what she, this is what she said happened. They rushed, at, they rushed at me with fists raised, most shouting and angry faces coming around me. They flickered the lights and ultimately turned the lights off. Gaines testified. The room filled with glares of cell phone flashlights, some in my face, and I realized I was at the mercy of the crowd and I was assaulted. A woman who claimed to be campus police, us, campus police ushered her out of the room. With Gaines fearing for her life, she said, once we made it into the hallway, we were met with an even larger mob blocking the stairway exit, ultimately forcing us to barricade ourselves into an office, Gaines testified. That small room would be her prison for three hours. They kidnapped her. Not only that, they held her for ransom. They wanted money for that because they didn't want to hear what she had to say because it was a different opinion of what they thought. And do you know what? The vice president of San Francisco State University came out and praised the students for their behavior. We're not thinking straight in this country. The unbeliever cannot think straight. His mind is darkened to the things of God, alienated from the life of God, hardened hearts. The Gentile thinking suffers from a fatal flaw. It has lost its grasp on reality and fallen prey to folly by closing their minds to the things of God. It is irrational thinking. It is thinking based in non-reality, in a lie. Apart from God, a person's entire way of thinking has been distorted by the powers of sin. That's Ephesians chapter two. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. This is how we were, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. It all comes back to the mind. And we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Listen, they cannot help themselves. Their minds are darkened in their understanding. They cannot help it. They cannot see and they cannot understand correctly. Since the unsaved do not know God, they can never truly understand the world around them, nor can they understand themselves correctly. The way they view the, the world is distorted by lies. Andrew Lincoln wrote, a false perspective on reality generates a confusion of desires which can never be satisfied because they have lost touch with what is true. They're non-reality. Such desires serve the power of deceit and so are themselves ultimately illusory and contribute to the ruin of the old person. 
the unbeliever cannot view the world correctly. They just cannot because they've lost grasp of reality. Their minds are darkened. Their thinking is irrational. They cannot think correctly. Back to Romans chapter one, a couple of verses we just previously read. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So don't be surprised if they don't understand when you try to tell them the gospel message that they just don't get it. They don't understand it. It doesn't make sense to them. So, so don't be surprised. Remember, the God of this world has blinded their minds. Ephesians, uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So because they can't on their own understand what do we do, we pray that God opens up their understanding, enlightens them, calls them to himself, and saves them. They cannot see on their own. They're, they're living in a non-reality irrational thinking. We want to pray that God opens up their understanding, calls and saves them. Because the light has gone out in the Gentiles' thinking, they are no longer capable of apprehending ultimate truth. So they believe the lie. They believe what is absurd. And the more absurd it is, the greater it is that breaks down human thinking. Voltaire said it like this. Those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. And the biggest the absurdity, the more they're going to get you to commit atrocities. You know why? Because when they tell you the sky is purple, you know in your mind the sky is not purple. It's blue. Or two plus two is five. No, two plus two is four. And the more absurd they can make it, it breaks down human reasoning and you cannot think straight. They can make you believe absurdities. They can make you commit atrocities. Because the Gentiles, the unbelievers, have a flawed view of reality, they have no relationship to God. They're living in an ethical bankruptcy. Companies have no true insight in their life at all. An ethically bankrupt civilization contains within itself the disease of dissolution and universal destruction. For ethically bankrupt as a nation, destruction's coming our way. Not only that, they're callous, they're past feeling, their, their, their conscience are seared, is the idea. They're past feeling. The idea is riotous and excessive living and unrestricted sexual behavior is in view here. We have a problem with sex as human beings. I don't know if you notice that when Paul writes and says, put off certain things, what's on the top of the list? Sexual stuff. We got problems with sex. We, we don't use it correctly as human beings. God has given sex for the intimacy in a marriage covenant, and it's a glorious thing between a husband and a wife. Take it outside of the marriage, it becomes destructive. But unrestrained sexual behavior is in view here. The Illinois Department of Natural Resources reports that more than 17,000 deer die each year after being struck by motorists on the highway. According to Paul Shelton, state wildlife director, the peak season for road kills is in the late fall. Why? The bucks are in rut in November. They're concentrating almost exclusively on reproductive activities, and they're a lot less wary than they normally would be. Deer aren't the only ones destroyed by a preoccupation with sex. We are a sexual society. 
And that's their whole bent is towards self-gratification. Self-centered lusts are deceitful because they promise joy but fail to provide it. That's the way we were before Christ. That's the old self, the old person before we know, knew Christ. The old person wants to be independent of God. The old person wants more and more for self. And I've told you before and I'll tell you again, my biggest problem in my Christian walk is me. Self is my biggest problem. And the unbeliever, all they think about is self. They want to self-gratify at all times. It's, it's like an addiction to them. But Paul says, listen, you guys already know. We've talked about this before when I was with you. You know what it is, how Christ has died for us and set us free and changed our course of life. And now he's given us a pattern to follow. It's not like that. It's different now that you're a believer is what Paul says. Look at verse 20. It's different. But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth, which is contrary to non-reality, truth is in Jesus. And he says, basically, it's written in a form as, yes, of course, I know that you were taught this stuff. Truth is in Jesus. Assuming that you've heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, the old person, the way you were before you came to Christ, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds. It starts in the mind. And to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. This is the way we were before. But now in Christ, things have changed. We're not the same people. We see life differently. We have a new pattern to follow. In fact, we're going to learn Christ. Just like the Jews who would go to Torah school and they would learn Torah, they would sit at the rabbi's feet and learn the Torah, we're supposed to learn Christ. We're supposed to sit at his feet and learn about him. Of course, this is his revelation. If we want to know about him, we come to his revelation and read about him. But it's the idea of sitting at the feet of Jesus. Normally, we learn from books. Now, we're asked to learn from a person. To learn Christ means to to have a personal relationship to Christ so that we know him better and better each day. And the better I understand the word of God, the better I know the son of God, for it is his revelation. Uh, Luke 24, 27, after his resurrection, he meets two guys, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. They all point to Jesus. They're all about him. So to learn Christ means to be shaped by the risen Christ who is the source of the new way of life as well as a new relationship with God. Everything changed when we became believers. We are not that old person. There's the lingering effect of the old person in us still, yes, but we are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Shaped by the risen Christ. Romans chapter six. We were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Brand new life we were given in Christ. Sitting at the feet of Jesus like a student is a standard in the New Testament of a person being in their sound mind. What do you mean? Look at Luke chapter eight. Then people went out to see what had happened. They came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid. Sitting at the feet of Jesus, patterning our life after Jesus, is showing we have a right mind, 
a right mind. It's a, it's a sound mind. We're not to imitate the old person, to remember the new person that we are. Christians, we think differently from unsaved people. We have a different worldview. We, we answer the four questions of a worldview differently than the rest of the world. Four questions of a worldview are simply this. Where did I come from? And our answer is creation. Why am I the way that I am? And our answer as believers is because of the fall. How do I change the way that I am? Our answer as believers is by faith in Jesus Christ, there is redemption. What happens when I die? Our answer is, if you're a believer, glorification. So we have a worldview that answers those questions of life. Where did I come from? Why am I the way that I am? How can I change? And what happens when I die? We think differently than the rest of the world. We understand the word of truth. That's the gospel of our salvation, all summed up in the life of Christ. He's talking about this this putting on, putting off. And I love it in the German language because it's the same verb for dressing yourself. So it's a clothing imagery. It's a clothing imagery. So the change of clothing imagery signifies a change of identities. We're not wearing the same clothes we were before. We change clothes. We put off and then we put on this imagery. We have a change of identities. Alexander Vinnett said, disrobe us of ourselves and clothe us with thyself, O Lord. That's the idea. Take off the old man, put on the new man that's patterned after Christ in righteousness and holiness. See, in becoming a believer, there's a radical break with the past, putting off the old self. A decisive change took place in us. The old self was that person living under the the dominion of the present evil age and believing all of the truths that are there and loving the world, which John tells us don't love the world. 1 John 2 Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. We don't love the world. We don't love self. We love God. And it's more than just putting off particular sins. Okay, I'm not gonna lie. It's more than putting off particular sins, but it's putting off the whole self who was leading a life dominated by sin. It's setting aside self humble humility, not arrogance, setting aside self. Romans 6, we know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. See, our old self was put, was put off and a new self was there. Now we're not enslaved to sin any longer. For one who has died has been set free from sin. And the believer's new life in Christ involves a change in direction and conduct. I don't know if you remember Augustine. He wrote uh, the city of, uh, uh, what is it called? The city of God. Um, And and he was a theologian, fourth century uh, AD. And he had some good things to say, some interesting things, but he was very... He was very sexual before he came to know the Lord. He did a lot of sexual promiscuity. Well, one day he was out walking. He had already become a Christian. He saw one of his old mistresses. And when he saw her, he turned and walked the other way. Surprised, the woman called out, Augustine, it is I. And Augustine kept going the other way and answered, yes, but it is not I. (laughs) He's not the same. I'm not the same person as I was before. I think differently. I behave differently. It's all changed now. We are to give up the old self that we no longer are. We're no longer an old self. No clemency is to be shown to self. In fact, Paul said in Colossians, put to death that which is evil inside you. 
mortify, some of the old translations say. Put it to, no clemency for the self. You can't say, okay, you get to rise up self for a day. No, no, no clemency for self. Put to death everything that's earthly in you. For us believers, lies have lost their glamour and vice, it's flattering lure. We don't go there anymore because we think differently now. We are renewed. Again, put your grammar hats on. It's a present passive. So that means it's presently acting, but we're not doing the acting. We're being acted upon. That tells us that God is continually renewing us day by day. It's a present continual action acted upon by God day by day. Notice where the renewal is to take place. It's to take place in our minds. Beliefs drive behaviors. As the mind understands the truth of God's word through the Holy Spirit, it is gradually transformed by the Spirit and this renewal leads to a changed life. One follows the other. That's why Paul said to the Romans, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. In other words, it's not about you, it's about him. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't love this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. This constant development of the believer's thinking, this process resulting in our ability to choose the good now, couldn't choose the good in the past. Now he's enlightened us, given us his Holy Spirit. We know what is good and right and true. We can choose the good now. D. Hawk, founder of Visa said, the problem is never how to get new innovative thoughts into your mind, but how to get the old ones out. Yeah, been there, man. That's why I don't like horror shows. This is my personal, I don't like horror movies. I watched a lot when I was a teenager and guess what? I still remember those scenes. I can't get them out of my head. I can't get them out of my head. So this is what Paul is talking to us believers, this new life, this describes this life pattern after God's life, conformity to God's will. In fact, if we read on in Ephesians chapter five, the beginning of it, therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love. As you're imitating God, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So the new self is created by God. But Paul says the believer must put it on. It's created by God. God did the action. He created this new person. And it's a past tense verb. It's an aorist verb, which means it took place in the past. The moment you believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, God created a new person. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus a new creation. Now we ask you to live out that new life that you have in Christ. Put on the new man. Put off the old man. That's our responsibility to react. We, we, we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We work out what God is. We, he creates, we work it out. Anonymous author said, as the Nazis were moving into the Netherlands, Henry Kramer, a Dutch theologian, was confronted by a group of Christian lay people. Our Jewish neighbors are disappearing from their homes, they said. What must we do? Kramer answered, I cannot tell you what to do. I can tell you who you are. If you know who you are, you will know what to do. And those people became part of the Dutch resistance movement during World War II. Do you know who you are, believer? If you know who you are, you'll know what to do. Not pattern your life after the old man, but pattern your life after the new person created by God, a new creation in Christ Jesus. Oh, we have been given knowledge. Our hearts have been enlightened. 
And the evil desires that characterize the old self came from deceit, came from lies, but the virtues which characterize the new self are rooted in truth. That's why he said the non-believer is rooted in non-reality. Our ideas are rooted in truth. And as a new creation in God's likeness, we are to be righteous as he is righteous and holy as he is holy. Righteousness and holiness. But Peter said this, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Righteousness and holiness. G. Campbell Morgan said, holiness has to do with character, righteousness with conduct. They cannot possibly be separated from each other. They are as intimately related as our root and fruit. There can be no fruit unless there is a root. If there is a living root, it must issue in fruit. There can be no righteousness unless there is holiness. Holiness must issue in righteousness. Holiness describes being, righteousness describes doing. So righteousness is conduct, holiness is our essence, our being. So doing and being. So we know God, we know the truth, we follow his ways. And on this Memorial Day, this day of remembrance, we remember those who laid down their lives so we can live. And we honor them on this Memorial Day. Today, we also remember Jesus Christ who laid down his life for us that we could live. Not only live, but live in reality and order our lives according to the truth. Colossians 1 reminds us again where we came from. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, that's who we were, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. He has brought us together. We were alienated, we were separated. He has brought us together because of the work of his son through the blood of Jesus Christ and faith in him in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. We have been made new in the attitudes of our minds. We are no longer futile in our thinking. We're no longer darkened in our understanding. We're no longer ignorant of the truth. We know the truth. So basically what Paul is trying to say to us believers is this, no more stinking thinking. That's it, enough. Don't get caught with the old man Walk in newness of life, patterned after the life that God has given us in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We know the battle is our minds. We know that. Comes through the eye gate, the, the, the ear gate, the, the, our feel, our senses, our, our, our taste. We understand. Father, we just pray and thank you that you have redeemed us in Christ. We are no longer the same people we were. You have given us new life in Christ the old man, there's a lingering influence still in us, but we are not two natures. We're one nature. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Help us to put off the old man continually and recognize who we are in Christ because when we know who we are, we'll know what to do. So Father, I pray, help us put away stinking thinking so we can think correctly in reality and in truth concerning what we see in society and even in our own lives. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.